0: This is Church Alive's Teaching of the Week by Pastor Gene Amoson. For additional teachings or information about the church, go to churchalive.net. Y'all go to Philippians 2, and we're going to continue our What a Savior series. I hope y'all enjoyed what we did last week. Uh, If you remember last week, we talked about Jesus as a human Here, while he was on earth. Of course, he was on earth for 33 years, and we talked about the fact that while he was on earth, you know, there was a lot of similarities in what we deal with on earth and what Jesus dealt with. I started off by asking the question, how many of y'all feel like you got a lot in common with Jesus? And a lot of you gave me a look like, I ain't got nothing in common with Jesus. Because if you're like me, like I said last week, I kind of feel like a goofball. He's Jesus, and I'm goofball Gene, Right? But we started to look at his life and why he was on the earth, and we started to see, you know, he dealt with a lot of the same stuff we dealt with as a human. And so Jesus walked through a lot of different things. He was tempted just like we were. So today, we're going to kind of go at a different angle, and we're going to be looking at Jesus the servant. Everybody say, Jesus the servant. Now, I want you to know, back in Jesus' time, people dealt with the same type of desires and the same type of things that we face today as well. The Roman culture was all about status. You know, it was all about status. Uh, there are certain groups that were allowed to wear certain things based on who they were. Um, if you were like, let's say for instance at a dinner party and there was a long table, y'all have like seen this, you know, maybe movies or something, maybe it's like in a castle or something. You see like long table with all kind of guests. Uh, the person to the right of the main person was like the most esteemed guest. The person to the left was kind of like number two. And then based on how you sat, kind of you went down the totem pole. I've always thought it was very funny. Let's just say that there was a table that sat 50 people. The guy at the very end, (laughs) you know, everybody's thinking you're just lucky to have made it in the room, you know, I mean, the poor guy, he was just barely, barely there, but it was based on where you sat and what you wore very many times determined who you were. Talking about that whole sitting on the left and right thing, uh, James and John in Mark 10 actually asked Jesus, they asked him this, they said, Whenever you enter into your kingdom, can we sit on your right and your left? Something very interesting about that request of theirs was it wasn't because they wanted to be close to Jesus, it was about status, it was about position. That's what they wanted. And actually, Jesus at that point responds with a little bit of a Sunday school lesson that we're going to look at in a minute. Whenever you see a Mark 10 scripture in a minute, you're going to know that this is Jesus' response to it. Acts 16, if you look at verse 16 through 24, there's a great story and it's Paul and Silas and they're ministering in Philippi, okay? Now, Philippi was a Roman colony and so it dealt with all of the social, all the status stuff that Rome dealt with. And in this story... You've got Paul and Silas ministering, and at one point, there's a fortune teller that starts to follow them. Ironically, the fortune teller starts saying, these are men sent from God. These are men of God. See, here's the thing. This this lady was a fortune teller. There was a spirit that was speaking, but it was showing the Holy Spirit, right? And if you look at the scripture, it's kind of funny because it says, Paul got annoyed, he uses the word annoyed. And he finally turns around to her and says, come out in the name of Jesus. And the spirit leaves her. Now, at that point, um, that's whenever things kind of went south for them because this fortune teller had a couple of pimps. And she worked for them. And whenever they saw that that spirit, that demonic spirit had been cast out of her and that she could no longer do what they had hired her to do, then at that point they get upset And they go to the Roman officials and they said, these Jews right here are causing trouble for us. So then the Roman officials and the police come and get them. They give them a good old beating and then they throw them in jail. That's just how the culture was. They said these guys are causing trouble. Just like that, you're getting whooped and you get thrown in jail. There's some irony here. Paul was a Roman citizen. So let me just pause there for a second and then we're going to come back to that. While they were in prison that night... There was an earthquake, if you remember this from the story, and I don't know if you do, but the the cell doors came open, the jailer wakes up, he assumes everybody had escaped, and he knows that if everybody escaped, that he's dead. So he was about to fall on his sword, and Paul's like, hey dude, we're all here, we haven't gone anywhere, don't kill yourself. And the word actually says that that night the jailer and his entire family came to know the Lord. They believe that night. I just want to go ahead and tell you, sometimes you're in an uncomfortable spot, sometimes you're in uncomfortable positions, places you don't want to be, but there's always an opportunity for you to sow the Word of God into somebody's life. Amen? Thank you, all four of you who clapped. I appreciate that. But here's the question that we want to get into, is why in the world didn't Paul mention whenever he was arrested, I'm a Roman citizen? Because... If he would have mentioned he was a Roman citizen, there's a due process. He would not have been beaten. He would not have been thrown in jail. He could have actually appealed to a higher court. And there's a really good chance that for the most part, he would have had to get out of jail free card. But he didn't mention this to him. And so they end up just throwing him in jail and stuff because he never opened his mouth. But here's the backstory to that. Paul had just started to develop this core group of believers in Philippi. It was a community of Jews, and the message that he had been preaching was, is Jesus is Lord. How many of y'all know Jesus is Lord? Amen? Not Caesar, but Jesus is Lord is what he had been telling them. And he knew that eventually this group, they were going to be jailed for standing up for their faith. He knew eventually this group, they were going to be beaten for standing up for their faith and proclaiming that Jesus was Lord. And so what he decided to do was, is Paul humbled himself, didn't say a word, he was beaten, he was unjustly thrown in jail, Uh, had to spend the night there, thank God some fruit came of it, amen. But what he wanted to do was to be an example of humility for this group, and so he went through this because he knew that they would be going through it as well. He didn't take the opportunity opportunity to use his get out of jail free card because he knew these people were going to go through the same thing. And so he starts to write this to them, and this is on down the road. It wasn't right then, but he writes this letter to the Philippian church. Um, in Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. And we're going to start in five, uh, verse 5, we're going to go for just a little bit. But he writes this letter to them, and again, it has to do with humility. By the way, whenever he's writing this letter to them, he's in prison, but he says this in verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a servant, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now, Jesus had the highest place possible. He was at the right hand of the Father, as we know. But he chose to leave that position of honor, to come to earth, to be clothed in humanity, to ultimately die the worst possible death known to man. Can I go ahead and just tell you, aren't you thankful he did it? Because he did it for us. Amen? He did it for us. So, verse 8 says, and we just read this, he died a criminal's death. Then, verse 9 goes on to say this, therefore, God elevated him. He died a criminal's death. Next verse. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all names. Come on now. The name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee. Somebody say every knee. Every knee knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. So he's trying to teach them about humility. He tried to model it for them earlier whenever we you know, talked about that in Acts. And so what he's telling them is, is listen, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord and we've got to act like Jesus. Amen? Amen? But he says, Jesus is Lord. Listen, not Caesar people. And let's go ahead and just get real and go to America right now. Uh, Jesus is Lord, not Putin. Come on now. Right, Jesus is Lord, not the president, amen. And I don't care who the president is, the president is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, not cancer. Come on, Jesus is Lord, not COVID. Jesus is Lord, not whatever shortage is going on in our country. Jesus is Lord. Every name has to bow to the name of Jesus. And I want to go ahead and tell you, whatever the battle is that you're facing today. It could be something at work. It could be a disease, whatever it is. If it's financial issues, it's nothing but a name and it bows to the name of Jesus. Some of y'all need to realize and just latch on to that today. Nothing can stand against our God. Everything bows to his name. Amen. Everything bows to his name. But Paul identified with what Jesus did and that's how he lived. And so I want to even show how he opened his letters or books of the Bible that we know of in uh, the New Testament. Those were ultimately letters. Look at how he opens these. In Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This is his introduction. Just says, I'm an apostle of the Lord. Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Philippians 1.1, the opening to the letter to this group that we're talking about today. Paul and Timothy, Timothy is there visiting him in jail, servants of Christ Jesus. He didn't open it up by saying, Paul, the guy who suffered more than all of you guys, right? Paul, an all-star of the gospel, he always opened it up humbly. And he, again, he says this to the church in Philippi, Paul and Timothy Servants. Everybody say servants. Servants of Christ Jesus. Of Christ Jesus. He intentionally called himself a servant whenever he addressed them because here's the thing. He wanted that church of Philippi, although it was a Roman colony, he didn't want it to act anything like the Romans. Because the Romans were acting right opposite of the way that Jesus acted. So he was trying to just be an example of, listen, we've got to be humble. We're servants. He came as a servant, and we've got to do exactly what he did as we read earlier. Amen? So he wanted them to follow the example of Jesus. And he tells them then in verse 3, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility count others more significant than yourself. That's a hard one to do. I don't know about you. Verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. To the interests of others. I, I don't know about you, but this is not the way our culture operates right now. That's not it, but it's how believers should operate. It's the way believers should act. And we can't even expect the world to operate this way. If they don't know Jesus, they can't operate this way. Amen? But the truth is, is that whenever we humble ourselves, it'll change us. Whenever we humble ourselves, it'll change our family. It'll change our home. Whenever we humble ourselves, it'll change our workplace. It'll change our church. It'll change your marriage whenever you humble yourself. Amen? And if you call yourself a follower of Christ Jesus, You may just say, I'm a Christian, Gene. If you say that you are truly trying to be a disciple of Jesus, if you're trying to be more and more like Jesus every day, this is required. Come on now. Humility is required. It's necessary. So based on Philippians 2, some of the scripture that we've looked at, let's look at a few different truths about the humility of Jesus and how we should model this as well. Some of you here today, you may say, Gene, whenever it comes to humility, I am the greatest. If that's you, you definitely need to pay attention today, amen? You definitely need to pay attention today. Uh, first thing is this, is Jesus did not care about status. The first thing I want us to talk about today, Jesus didn't care anything about status. All right. Looking at verse 6 there in Philippians 2, and again we're going to stay around those verses for the most part. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Y'all, Jesus didn't have to fight for equality, nor did he feel it necessary to come down from earth or come down to earth and fight for a sense of status or honor. Right. He didn't care about status whatsoever. And, and again, whenever James and John asked to sit at his right and his left, he responded to them with these verses here in Mark 10, 42 through 45. He said to Jesus, or it says, so Jesus called them together And said, you know that the rulers in this world Lorded over their people And officials flaunt their authority Over those under them But among you it will be different Can I go ahead and just tell you something Y'all, we're supposed to be different We're supposed to look different Than the person who doesn't know the Lord I've said this a hundred times From this pulpit If the people at your work don't know that you're a Christian There's something wrong, y'all Because what you say, what you do Should stick out, come on now should stick out, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve others. And the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, if anybody ever had an opportunity... To be entitled, it would be God, right? I mean, come on, he's God. But Jesus says, no, 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 I came to serve others. That, that's why I came, and he instructed the disciples, this is what you should do as well. To be the greatest, you need to become the least. Amen. And that was a first for that time. It, it wasn't the norm. I mean, uh, the Pharisees, for instance, the guys who called themselves ultra-religious, ultra-spiritual, they maybe knew the Torah and they could quote scripture like this and prophecy like this, but the fact was is they were full of pride. They were full of pride. I mean, there's actually a story in the Gospels where basically there's this man who's crying out to God and basically saying, I'm a sinner and I am messed up. And then a the Pharisee's is praying and he's like, I am just glad, Lord, that I'm not like that guy over there. It just doesn't really seem to jive, does it? Supposed to be so holy, yet so prideful all at the same time. But John thirteen three through 5 it says this, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from his table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet. So Jesus talks just a minute ago about the fact that he came to serve others, not to be served. And this is a perfect example of that. To wash somebody's feet was a big deal back then. And so he washes the disciples' feet, and their minds are blown at this point, because they know who he is. They know he's the Son of God. They know he's the real deal. And I just want to share with you something real quick that you may not have ever thought about. He didn't just wash... Some of the disciples' feet, he washed them all. He washed the feet of Judas, who just a few minutes later was going to betray him and have him arrested. Even washed his feet. But people a lot of times like titles because many times they feel like it validates them or it makes them feel important. If you like titles, I've got some good news for you today because we all have a title if we're believers and the title is this is we're supposed to be servants of all. Come on now, we're supposed to be servants of all. We've got to realize that the world doesn't revolve around us. And being a servant, as the word says, is not always easy, is it? But it's what the word teaches us to do. So the first thing today was Jesus didn't care about status. The second thing is, is that Jesus made himself nothing. Jesus made himself nothing. Now you may look at the scripture and you're like, what does that mean? Let's look at the scripture first, and then we're going to talk about that. Philippians 2, verse 7, we just moved over one verse. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The word here says that he made himself nothing, and he became a servant in human likeness. So what does it mean, though, that he was nothing? He was Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? He was God here on earth. But, y'all, he emptied himself of all the things that he could possess as Jesus, who was God, whenever he came to earth. You may say, Gene, what do you mean by that? Let me explain it to you real quick. Uh, For instance, his omnipresence, the ability to be everywhere at once. Whenever he came to earth, that wasn't taking place in his life as a human, correct? Uh, Let's just say, for instance, his omnipotence, omnipotence, the fact that he was all-powerful. Whenever he came to earth, that changed. It wasn't like he was God. Now, let me just sit there just for a minute and let me talk to you because some of you might not agree with that. Uh, You may say, well, Gene, how did he heal the sick if he came to earth and he didn't have all power if he wasn't all powerful? Well, I have a theory that I've shared before from here is that Jesus was able to heal the sick and do the miracles that he did because he was walking in right relationship with Father God. Here's the reason why. In John 14, 12, Jesus says this wonderful thing, this wonderful line. He says, you'll do the same works I do. All who believe, you'll do what I do, but you'll also do greater works than I do. Now, let's break this down just for a minute. If he's doing all these miracles as God, can we be God? God. No, I'm not God. I've definitely messed up way too much, right? So the truth is, is that we could never do those same works or those greater works if he was doing those works of God. But whenever he was in right relationship and then the power of God was moving through him, if we do that same thing, we can do the same works and greater works because I don't think Jesus lied in the word of God, correct? So with that said, he made himself nothing, Whenever he came as a human, he gave up all that so he could identify with our weakness and the struggles that we deal with daily. Being a servant means that we've got to get rid of pride and we've got to be humble as well. James 4, 6, and here's a a couple of verses for you. James 4, 6 says, God resists. Everybody say resists. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I have failed in giving grace to people a number of times. Anybody else? Then in Matthew 7, uh, 7, verse 3 and 5. Matthew 7, verse 3 and 5. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friends, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye whenever you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. If I were to be real open with you, I think there's a, it's very common that uh, I sometimes can see the faults in others before I can see the faults in my own life. Hopefully I'm not the only one that's that way. Sometimes I'm thinking, uh, yep, man, they got some problems. And you know what? God's looking at me and chuckling like, you don't even know, bro. <laughs> you know? We all got some problems, right? Proverbs 6.17 says, the Lord hates haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. You know what haughty eyes are? Looking down on people. Whenever we do that, the Lord hates it, Proverbs 6 says. And y'all, this is a hard topic to speak on. I just want you to know. I mean, like, I, I'm talking to myself today today. Because I've got a lot of areas that I need to work on in my life. Uh, have any of y'all ever dealt with the problem of wanting to be right all the time? Come on now. There, there needs to be freedom in this house. Somebody lift your hand today if that's you. Come on right now. Come on, God wants to free you today. I, I saw a quote a little while back that said this. I, I'd agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. <laughs> that's pretty funny, isn't it? Sometimes we want to be right all the time. It's impossible to be right all the time. Listen to me. You, you may have the evidence. You may have the spreadsheets. You may have the data. You may have witnesses that prove you are right, but you are going to continue to burn bridges and relationships in the process. It's impossible for you to be right all the time. Amen? Impossible. What about nitpicking others? Anybody ever done that? No, y'all have never done that. Mm-mm. What about being a one-upper? One-uppers kind of annoy me, but I'm sure I've one-upped before. You hear a story, but you're like, hold on, i got a story that tops that one. You all know what I'm talking about? It's a one-upper. Maybe you've been a one-upper. It's pride. What about arrogance? Have you ever been arrogant? What about being an expert in everything? Now, I know we've never had anybody like that. I mean, there can be people who are an expert on everything from chemistry to unicycles. Experts on everything, right? I don't know where unicycles came from. That was really random, wasn't I mean, they can be experts on anything. And you may be really, really knowledgeable about one thing, but there's definitely something you don't know squat about, right? What about having the last word? Always got to get that last word in. See, these are all areas that relate to humility that we all need to work on. All of these things. And, and the truth is, is all these things turn others off. Yeah. But see, what's bad about that is, is that it doesn't just turn them off and you may not have that person in your life. You don't know if you're turning people away from Jesus in the process. That's good. The, the word shows us that whenever Jesus lived like this, whenever he lived full of humility, whenever he lived full of love, people were attracted to Jesus. You know, the ones that really hated him were the ultra-spiritual ones that really didn't have a heart knowledge with God. They had a head knowledge with him. They knew scripture, but they saw him as a threat to them. And so in a nutshell, they were the ones that were asking for him to be crucified, but others loved him, loved him. They saw the love that he had for them. I mean, you can just look at the way he loved children in the Scripture. You can look at the way he loved people who were outcasts. I mean, whether it was prostitutes or lepers or whatever it is, he was just so attracted to hurting people, and he loved on them. I mean, how could you not love them? Amen? And whenever we're that way, it's just going to bring people closer to Jesus as a result. It's just going to bring them closer to Jesus. But God's called us to live a life that reflects the character of Jesus. And, he, and Jesus redefined status you he for the whole world to see. And he did it by being selfless. By being selfless. So, so number one, Jesus didn't care about status. Number two, he made himself nothing. And today the third thing is this, is Jesus was all in. He was all in. Verse 8 in Philippians 2. And being found in appearance as a man... He humbled himself. Everybody say humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, humility is, of course, serving others, letting pride go. And I want you to know this, that humility is not a sign of weakness. I need to say that again because that's good. Because some people may see it that way. Humility is not a sign of weakness. You actually show strength whenever you bend to knee to serve someone. How many of y'all have ever been impressed by somebody who did something very kind that they absolutely didn't have to do? Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you something one time that was just, it was kind of ridiculous. But I guess it was good all at the same time. Y'all remember Dak Prescott played for Mississippi State? Yeah, I remember whenever, I think he went to the Cowboys and he like threw his Gatorade cup and it didn't make it into the trash can, and so he goes and he picks it up and he puts it in the trash can, which, is, which should be the normal response for any human being, right? Social media glorified him like he was Jesus for doing it, right? And the thing is, is, all he did was he just did the right thing. Did he make millions of dollars? Absolutely. Did he have to pick up the cup? No. There was somebody who would have picked up the cup for him. But truthfully, everybody was like, that old Dak Prescott. He bent over and picked up a cup. Look at him go, right? And I'm not making fun of him at all. I just thought it was very interesting how the world just kind of blew it up. But nobody looked at Dak and said, why in the world did you do that? Everybody looked at him and said, that's impressive right there, isn't it? Whenever you show humility, whenever you serve someone else, it just shows strength, actually. It shows character. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Amen? Amen. In your marriage, I want you to know that strength is shown whenever you continually serve your spouse, continually serve your spouse in devoted love. But I want you to think about this. In the garden, just before Jesus was arrested, This would have been right after he washed the feet of Judas and the rest of the disciples. He said this to God. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew what he was about to go through, and he was saying, Father, I'm all in for what you've got me to do today. He was all in for you and I. He knew that it was going to hurt. He knew that it was going to be the worst possible death he could have ever experienced. But he was thinking about us at that time and he wanted to do what the Father had called him to do. And around that same time, just before Jesus betrayed him, he was praying for us specifically in John 17 verse 20. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, talking about his 12, but also for all who will ever believe, that's us, Believe in me through their message. Through their message. So in the hardest time of his life, think about that, y'all, just the last few hours before he was hung and nailed to a cross, before he was beaten. In the last few hours of his life, he's thinking about others and not himself. Also think about the fact that he had just been, just fast forward a little bit, he was abandoned by his friends as soon as he was arrested Peter denies him one of his closest disciples Judas of course had just betrayed him kissed him as a matter of fact and then split and the rest of the disciples scattered if you've ever felt abandoned he knows what it's like if you feel abandoned today if you feel like you're all on your own if you feel like nobody knows what you're going through there's a wonderful promise in hebrews 13 5 and this is the lord speaking and he says this i will never leave you nor will i ever forsake you i want you to know he's been with you the entire time you may have walked through something very difficult very hard and and you thought God was nowhere around. I want you to know on your hardest day, he was with you. On your greatest day where you celebrated because of whatever happened, he was with you that day too. He's never left you. He will never forsake you either. And he understands what it what it feels like to be alone. Sometimes we walk through hard seasons. I definitely do and Sometimes you may hear pastors call these wilderness experiences. They're actually referring back to the children of Israel kind of wandering in the wilderness before ever getting to their promised land. Maybe you felt like you've just not been getting to the place that you know you're supposed to be. Maybe you feel like everybody else is living their best life and you sure are not. Maybe your marriage isn't working out real well for you right now. Maybe your kids are not living the way they should. Maybe you feel confused. Maybe you've been lied to. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you feel isolated. I want you to know He's there and He sees exactly what you're going through. He sees exactly what you're going through. And too many times we try to fix things ourselves. And we try to fix all these problems ourselves. But I found in times like this, it's best to just step back and focus on drawing closer to him. Come on now. Focus on drawing closer to him. The one that said he'd never leave me, the one that said he'd never forsake me, getting closer and closer to him. And during those seasons, he can teach us lessons and he will teach us lessons if we'll listen. He will. The Lord often wants to do some things in us, right here. He wants to work on the inside of us before he does things for us. And so whenever we draw closer to him and we just seek him, it's amazing that things just start to settle in our lives. Whenever we get close to him here, he works on the inside of us and then he starts to do things, whatever's going on in our life around us as well. So again, today, Jesus didn't care about status. He made himself nothing, and he was all in for us. What a Savior we have indeed. Amen? What a Savior. Come on, give the Lord a hand this morning. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Church Alive's Teaching of the Week with Pastor Gene Amoson. Visit the church Sunday mornings at 10 or listen on Renew 96.9.